back to episode 65 of the All Things Strength and Wellness podcast. I'm your host once again, Robbie Burke, and we are brought to you by upmentorship.com, one of the top strength and conditioning resources available online today. To get instant access to 20 hours of world-class online video strength and conditioning information, go to upmentorship.com and help support the show. This episode's guest is Greg Everett, who is the owner and head coach at Catalyst Athletics. Greg is a renowned Olympic lifting expert, and on this episode, me and Greg discussed many topics, including Greg's training philosophy, program design and periodization for Olympic lifting, assistance work for the Olympic lifts, Olympic lifting for beginners, the biggest things Greg has learned over his career, advice to all coaches and athletes, and we also discussed his recently released documentary, American Weightlifting. This was a really great interview, guys, and I hope you enjoy it. Okay, Coach Craig Everett, it's an absolute pleasure and an honor to have you on my podcast. Just for the listeners who may not be too familiar who you are, just fill us in on your background. Uh, yeah, first of all, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Uh, I run Catalyst Athletics, which uh, we have both a gym and a, a weightlifting team, but also we publish uh, a lot of online and book and DVD content on Olympic weightlifting education. We do uh, seminars and certifications around the world, and we actually have three affiliate gyms right there in Dublin, where you are, so we're, uh, we're all over the place. That's awesome. And uh, your, your book, can you just maybe tell the listeners about your book? You have, you have an awesome book that you brought out there recently, only about maybe a year, 18 months ago, was it? Or a longer? Uh, well, we have, a, we have a few. So my own book, which is the one that we, uh, we sell the most of, is Olympic Weightlifting, A Complete Guide for Athletes and Coaches. Yeah. Uh, that's in its second edition. That's been around since uh, 2008. Oh, really? And then, uh, yeah, that's, Sorry, that's I, been around. Man, when, when did the second edition come out? Uh, right at the end of 2009. I'm actually uh, just really getting to work seriously on the third edition now. Oh, sorry, I, so I completely, I, I completely agree. I, I thought that book had only been out maybe two, three years maximum. <laughs> no, it's it's been circulating. and uh, But I've put out the you know, Olympic weightlifting for sports within the last couple of years. Um, and then I put out the Olympic weightlifting uh, multimedia quick start guide within the last year. So we're, we're always putting new stuff out, Great you know, stuff. along with books by other people. So Great stuff. What got you into Olympic lifting, uh, Greg? Like, what, what attracted you to the sport? Uh, you know, it's strength training in, uh, in general has always been something I've done since I was, you know, 10, 11 years old. It's always uh, really attracted me. And I think what got me with Olympic lifting was – uh, just the the sheer amount of athleticism that's involved, you know, yeah, yeah. versus you know bodybuilding or powerlifting. They never really, I never really felt that compelled with those because to me it wasn't as exciting. Um, whereas you know weightlifting, you have you have the strength element, you have uh, the explosiveness and the balance and the the mobility and the timing and all these things. There's a huge uh, mental game to it. So. I feel like it just really contained all these different elements of athleticism that uh, you know I found really compelling as an athlete. Who would you say have been the biggest influences on you, both as a coach and as a person? Well, uh, overwhelmingly, my coach Mike Bergner. Um, and he he was really a coach to me. He was a mentor to me. Uh, he was a friend. So you know, I I trained with him. Uh, for about three years he's actually was my wife's coach for almost her entire career uh, and she's been lifting now for you know 16 17 years um, but he's he's the one who really kind of exposed me to weight 
weightlifting as a genuine sport and uh, you know kind of in the, in the purest sense possible you know we trained in his garage we had four platforms in a two-car garage and uh, you know it was really it was really about the training it was about the team the atmosphere and, and not about YouTube videos and you know all the stuff that unfortunately you know I kind of have to do now to to stay in business and support my family and my employees but uh, he he really influenced me in, in terms of the way I approach kind of my relationships with my lifters um, and uh, to some extent you know how I write programs to a lesser extent the the technical side of things um, he was never really that interested in that. He kind of let us figure that stuff out on our own, and which I think was good. You know, he gave enough guidance to get us there, but you know, beyond that, it was it was kind of you know allowing each athlete to determine uh, you know what produced the best results for him or her. Mm-hmm. Great stuff. And uh, would would he also be in the category as a huge influence on you as a person as well as a coach? Yeah, I would say so. Um, this I, I don't know why this question is so tough for me, but I always just kind of draw blanks, uh, whether it's influence in terms of coaching, athlete, or, or human being. Uh, I, I you know I, I don't I don't really know. It's not something that I've ever really thought about. Yeah, uh, yeah. listen, it's, you, you're you're not the you're definitely not the first guest in the show to, to be kind of taken back by the question. I get that a lot. <laughs> you, usually, m- most people say it's their parent, one of their parents, or both of their parents with the with the human aspect and. It's always usually some sort of mentor then with regards to the coaching aspect, but every everyone's different. Maybe uh, you know you're probably like myself, you're a little more sort of self reliant. You know, you kind of go by maybe your own sort of feel of things. Yeah, I mean, I definitely I, I tend to be a little self contained, and uh, you know, I constantly get emails and, and Facebook stuff, and you know, have you read this? Have you seen this? And the answer is almost always no. Yeah, um, yeah. And you know, it's not that I think I know everything. It's that you know, I'm at the point where I. I, I'm I'm so busy generating content and coaching uh, that I just don't have time to look at that stuff. Yeah, yeah. I saw I see, like in one of your articles about like the valgus and the knees and the you know, knees in knees out and kind of <laughs> at the end of it, you kind of wrote honestly this stuff bores me immensely. I just don't have the time for this. And I was just like I was just like nodding my head yes, going yes, I agree with this too because like you know just these same questions pop up like you know the whole argument that was going on about like Kelly Surrett's knees out thing it was just like for the love of God can we just get on with things well and that's the problem with the internet is it's there's such an overwhelming amount of information that, that people end up spending the majority of their time talking and thinking rather than actually training yeah and I think in, in one of your like in, in, you've multiple articles out there on kind of program design and this was a lovely one too and like the very last thing like the head knot was like just do it and you were just like there's just far too much farting around. well you didn't say farting around but essentially you were just like, there's, just, <laughs> there's just too much farting around he's like just do it and see if it works stop annoying right. me it was just like you know i guess like the way you write is very very similar to how i would write or explain things like you know just just do it you'll be fine it's like i remember, I remember this video of jim winner it's years old and winner just he, he went on like an hour spiel of training and at the very end he just goes Ah, fuck it. Just squat it, deadlift it, push it and pull it. You'll figure shit out. And that was it. I was like, you just yeah, gonna, you're just going to say that. That's what it comes down to. Yeah, is, yeah. You know, that, that's, that's where most of the information that we have comes from anyways, from those people pre-internet era who had to figure it out on their own. And the only way you figure it out is by trying things. Well, I mean, like, like that's exactly. You could spend a week there just bombarding yourself with information on the internet and then... You were just like, well, what conclusions did you come to about strength training? Uh, big multiple joint compound movements <laughs> seem seem to do the trick, and I was like, yes, yes. So, 
But uh, I, I, who did I have on? I had um, uh, Christian Thibodeau on the podcast on Monday. And he said, he was like, uh, if you really probably want to figure out how to get strong, probably read all the books of the old strongman before like steroids came out. Like, so like pre-19, you know, well, steroids were 1950s. But he's like, probably back to like 1930s, 20, you know, using Shandong and Hackenschmidt. Because like, them lads had to figure this shit out just with pure intuitive feel. Like, so he's like, and those guys got really, really strong. So that'd probably be a good place to start. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm just I'm just in the middle of watching your documentary American Weightlifting, which so far is I can't believe you, like that you, like this wasn't professionally done. Like, cause I I heard your interview on Barbell Shrug, and you're like, yeah, I did this whole thing. So I was there going on thinking, oh, this would be you know good quality, decent quality, and I'm just like, great, like you should do production. You know what I mean? So it's it's compliments to you on the documentary quality. It's it's, it's brilliant, and so far I I'm absolutely loving it. But uh, with this question, probably some of the things that are covered in that we'll probably cover now is what are the biggest problems that you see within Olympic lifting? Now, it doesn't have to be just American Olympic lifting. It can be just Olympic lifting as, as a whole. Well, yeah, I think the, uh, the U.S., uh, you know, Ireland, England, uh, Australia, Canada, we're all pretty much in the same situation as it, when it comes to weightlifting. Uh, and that is it's, it's relatively unknown. It's unsupported. There's not a lot of financial support for the lifters or the coaches or the facilities. And so there, there's definitely a lot more struggle to balance uh, training and, and energy and focus with the need to actually survive. You know, the, our lifters uh, have full-time jobs. They're at school a lot of the times. Uh, you know, we don't have sponsorships. We don't have, uh, you know, state-sponsored programs, things like that. And we don't have... Um, a good system for recruiting and developing long term so mm-hmm. you know whereas a lot of these more dominant countries are going to be bringing athletes into the sport at a very young age and are able to keep them you know through the 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 age of their kind of competitive peak internationally we basically get whoever happens to walk through the door um, yeah. and typically it's it's people who are already too old you know they're already 25 30 years old and they've been an athlete in another sport and have had to quit or, you know, they're done with their collegiate sports, whatever the case is. And so we're kind of left trying to scramble to catch up, uh, in, in, you know, from, from several steps back. And so I think that's the biggest difficulty is that we really need to get, uh, if we're going to be able to really genuinely compete on the international level, we have to start bringing people into the sport at a much younger age and, and having the possibility of a long-term, developmental track rather than this kind of piecemeal um too late sort of uh, uh, scrambling approach that we have now there you're gonna have to remind me of the, of the gentleman's name he, he was a big gentleman with, with a beard um as i tell the story you'll probably remember who it is he he made a really good point in it saying that uh, like he, he was kind of given like an example of a story where he's like you know you can tell this kid you know if you stick with this sport for a few years you might get good enough that you can compete at a, a national uh, a a national meet where you have to pay for your own journey compete and even if you win you'll get a dime sized medal and then you have to go back home and you'll have to train even harder uh, to get to the next level which would be to represent your country where you probably won't have any hope at all of you know meddling at any world championships and uh, and this is going to all cost you money and put you in debt (laughs) so right yeah that's Matt Foreman he actually writes a lot of articles for us and we've put out two of his books and, uh, you know, Jim Schmitz is another guy in the movie. He made a similar point. He said, you know, you can get more attention playing football at, you know, a, a small unknown college in the U.S. than you can being a, an Olympian in weightlifting. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it's, it's hard. 
you know, he, his point was, how do I convince a guy who can get a college scholarship uh, to stop playing football and do weightlifting where you're basically just guaranteed a life of poverty and obscurity? Yeah, yeah. Because, like, where in the Eastern Bloc, like, the Olympic lifting was a way out of that. It was, yeah, uh, oh, absolutely. So it, and it, it, all those countries it is. Yeah. And uh, Jim Schmitz made that same point. He said, you know, in the U.S., we give up all these things to be great weightlifters. We give up uh, a good education, a good job. Versus, say, you know, he made the example of China is as a weightlifter, you're getting a good education, you're getting a good job. Yeah, yeah. And so it's it's literally the exact opposite set of circumstances. Like, uh, there also was a great point made up, too, uh, about the coaching. And, and Bob DeCano made a great point where he's like, you know, in Russia, you could get a PhD in just being an Olympic lifting coach. Right. And he's like, and he's like, of course, that would be great in America. But then he's like, then the, then the problem will be, would there be jobs for people who, who then went on and got this education where he's like, they're guaranteed that over in those Eastern Bloc countries. So like, it's also a coaching aspect as well as recruiting athletes. So it's, which, which, you know, obviously, I mean, you made the move. Yeah. But it was just another great point. I thought that Bob DeCano made. So, so it's uh, the, the, the reason why America is, isn't winning any Olympic medals isn't because they're not using West Side barbell methods, as Louis Simmons says, and using chains and bands. <laughs> Do you ever hear Louis? You guys, you, got, you need to use you know, fucking, fucking bands and chains. And chains yeah, okay. Chains to listen to We get bombarded with that stuff. And, you know, it, it's, it's really interesting. American weightlifting coaches just, just get shit on nonstop all day long. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. Every, apparently every, everybody knows yeah. better except that none of them have actually tried coaching weightlifters I know yeah. so because he, he always like uh, by the way that was an awful Louis Simmons impression so I apologize Louis but uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I leave I leave the Louis Simmons impressions to Brandon Lilly he's absolutely fucking hilarious at taking off uh, Louis it's so funny but uh, no because like I've seen like Louis in, with the West Side or with the Barbell Shrug guys and he had like the guys doing like banded cleans and jerks and he's you know you gotta just change the lifts up every week and like does Louie ever hear of the 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 key thing in training called specificity <laughs> yeah he needs to tra- well, and, train the you know interestingly enough though of uh, the the majority of of simmons and the west side stuff comes from his reading of yeah. old russian weightlifting manuals yeah yeah you know, so it's he's taken the weightlifting stuff, converted it to powerlifting, and then tried to translate it back into weightlifting. And it's like, it's like when they they write a, a VCR manual in English, translate it to Japanese, and then translate the Japanese one back into English, and it ends up making no sense. Except the Russians didn't change their lifts every three weeks, so I don't know why he left that part out. Yeah, well, it, it's <laughs> it, it all gets very confusing, and, and uh, it does it does <laughs> it does get it's but it's so funny actually because. Uh, and by the way, listen, I love Louis Simmons. Like he, he does have, he genuinely does have some good stuff. But like, I'm just, I'm, I'm guess I'm. We spoke with, I mentioned the word self reliance earlier on. I guess just never, never be too blinded by a certain guru, if you will. Do you know what I mean? Always at least have enough, uh, sort of, how would you say? Again, I suppose the word is self reliance to be able to step back and make your own conclusions and things. Like you can learn from everyone. Just don't follow one specific individual and and take their take everything they say as gospel but uh i was gonna say unless it's me of course yeah except it's except it's (laughs) or me you know so you guys have been warned uh i was gonna say something there but my 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 mind is after just racing off there but uh but so the the just with regards to that documentary uh greg where can people find out more about that we'll obviously mention again at the end of the end of the show uh americanweightliftingfilm.com uh, has all the info and you can uh, buy it on DVD you can uh, 
stream it, download it. You can get it on iTunes. You can a million different ways you can get it. I mean, you can even rent it for like three bucks, either directly or on iTunes. So yeah, you yeah. can be super cheap about it and still enjoy it. It's really so far. I'm 45 minutes into it now, and it's it's really really top notch. So I'd highly recommend it. And like I can't believe uh, I I liked what you did though with the you know with the when you go to buy it like because it's cheap as chips. It's only fifteen dollars, but you can you can contribute more to it if you want so i really did like that because you know it's kind of you know you could be like so how much did you uh, buy my documentary for it's kind of, <laughs> you could test out everyone so but uh i actually remember what i was going to say there the final thing about louis sims i'm not i'm not bashing on louis but i remember like when i was getting into the field and i was trying to understand this conjugate system because i was like when i'm conjugate with verkashansky is this but louis says it's this so i went in a search and i, I got this thing on verkashansky's form when he's still alive and some guy writes Dear Dr. Verkashansky, I've read all the books that Mr. Simmons said he read that, you know, he, he said that helped him design the West Side Method. And he, and this is what he does. And then he says, but I'm very confused. The books don't seem to tell me that this is what happens. And then <laughs> Dr. Verkashansky writes back, he goes, yes, Mr. Simmons is not using conjugate. To me, this seems concurrent. He's very confused. Right. So I was just yeah, there, There's been a couple articles out there that have made that point, but they seem to be overlooked. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So anyway, listen, listen, we'll, we'll, we'll focus more on Olympic listen here. If, if I was to pose the question to you, what is your training philosophy? What would you say? Uh, to do whatever works. Ooh, and, uh, yeah. you know, I, I've tried to make that point in a, a number of ways, a number of times. And I, I think that you, you kind of alluded to it a moment ago where a big mistake people make is getting very dogmatic about training philosophy or, uh, you know, subscribing exclusively to a single point of view, a single person's point of view. And, it, you know, I think it's a mistake. Obviously, over time, through experience, you develop um, a system and, and a set of patterns that uh, you fall back on that you found effective over time. Yeah, yeah. But if you're not flexible and you're not open to considering new things or trying new things, then I, I think you're really missing out. That doesn't mean that you abandon the stuff you know works because you know some guy on the internet said, hey, you should do power cleans with chains from sitting in a folding metal chair. Mm. Uh, it, you know, they, they experiment within reason. I think is a good way to put it is it, it has to make sense. It has to pass the laugh test uh, before you actually waste your time or your athlete's time with it. And I think you know, that's one of the things that Louis Simmons gets so upset about. He says, well, you know, I'm giving you guys all this information, but there's no American weightlifting coaches who ever listen to me or ever try anything. And my response to that, of course, is like, well, you haven't given anybody a good enough reason to try it. There, there's no, no one's compelled to try it because it, it doesn't make any sense. And, uh, you know, I, I think if, if he could show it in action with a couple of actual weightlifters, people might be more inclined to, to look into it. But until yeah. then, it's just not going to happen. Yeah. And, and I, 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 I do don't mean to beat up on him specifically. That's just the example that was in my head. Yeah, same, same with me previously. It's, again, I, I've learned, I learned from everyone and I've learned a lot from Louis. But the, you mentioned the word dogmatic there. That was the word I meant to mention earlier on. You never want to get too dogmatic. It's kind of funny. I, I have this like oxymoron. The only dogmatic belief I have is not to be dogmatic about, about anything. So, um, no, I really like that answer you gave. Do, do what works. And I think in another one of your articles too, you were saying like a guy visited your gym and he was like, you know, do you do all these calculations of this and that together? And you were kind of like, ah, oh, not really. I, I kind of, you, you said like my philosophy is I look at the lifter, I see what the weakness is and then I attack that and I, you know, and if it works, it works. So, you know, I kind of like that sort of philosophy you have of just tra train what needs to be sort of trained. But in terms of like, and listen, uh, again, I, my, 
my reading of your material is is only very amateur at this stage so if this question is redundant i apologize but in terms of like a bulgarian russian chinese influence like, do you veer towards any of those or is it again you look at all three and come up with your own sort of system based off that well i mean i, I would say the chinese system is it's the russian system it's essentially the same thing but yeah. with a larger pool of athletes but um I, I, if I had to say that I leaned in either one direction, it would be more towards the Russian system. Okay. Um, I, I think that the the Bulgarian ideas, I think, have a lot of merit, and they are appropriate in certain cases for certain periods of time for certain athletes. Um, but as a long-term approach, I don't think it's appropriate. Uh, and, you know, what's interesting, too, is that even Ivan Abacheyev, the guy who came up with what's now called the Bulgarian system, has said the same thing very publicly, that the Bulgarian system is not appropriate for anything but very advanced weightlifters. Yeah, yeah. And so it's always interesting to me when you, you have guys who've been trying to do this sport for three months, and it's, you know, max every day, do this, uh, you know, beat the shit out of yourself and you know with these these terrible movement patterns and no kind of foundation and it you know surprisingly enough they they tend to not really get very far unless they just happen to be genetically very durable mm. um which of course was the bulgarian system too they start with three thousand or so athletes and they whittle them down to 10. Yeah. basically that was the process you either died and fell by the wayside or you were so fucking tough and talented that you came out as one of the greatest weightlifters of you know who've ever lived um and you know the the drug issue really is irrelevant because the guys the bulgarians were competing with were all on the same stuff essentially yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but it's the, the russian approach that that general philosophy of a little more foundation building and, and somewhat more variety and training exercises and um kind of uh, stratifying skill levels and programming according to that, you know, modulating the volume and the intensity and the exercise selection based on uh, who the athlete is and, and at what level they're training at any given time makes a lot more sense and it's far more applicable and effective to a wider range of athletes. And so uh, that's kind of the, the base that I work from. Um, but as I said, I, I will. We will have athletes kind of do a more Bulgarian approach, especially as we uh, get into a, a competition preparation phase of their training. You know, the, the last four weeks or so leading into a meet, oftentimes we are doing essentially the Bulgarian program, where they are doing max single snatch, clean and jerk, and squat essentially every day. But you know, four weeks is a lot different than every single day for you know an entire career yeah yeah like it's uh i, I heard chad wesley smith saying that he was at a clock off an illidium set seminar back in december 2013 and everyone was going up to clock off and saying so like uh, clock off what are you doing now when you're training and chad is like don't ask him that ask him what was he doing his training 10 years ago because that's what you yeah. that's what you need right now you don't need like what he's doing now and it, right. it was the same i interviewed a gentleman just yesterday rob panriello and Rob spent time in Bulgaria, Russia, and East Germany, and he said he was in Bulgaria literally two months before they went to the 88 Olympics, and he said that the only regret he had is that he didn't go to Bulgaria two years before that, because he said, I actually saw what people talk about then, they're going to Max every day, but he's like, right. I, didn't, I didn't see what they did to get to that level, you know, so he was like, I would have liked to see the foundation to get there, because that's what everyone just thinks, as you said, the Bulgarian system is, going to Max every day, people with three months experience, like, oh, I'll just try this now, and it's like, Oh, best, of right. luck. best of luck with that. 
Yeah, well, and that, that's that's probably the most common mistake in, in anything yeah. uh, athletic-related is that, uh, and the Internet's making it worse because it's, it's easier to do, but everyone wants to train as an expert um, even when they're a beginner. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's this, this mindset that, well, if, if this is what an expert does, if I do that, I'll become an expert. And that's, that's really not the case. Is it, it's, it's actually hindering your progress um, mm. to train at a level that you're not prepared for. Yeah, it's, it's funny. I'm reading a book at the moment called Mastery by Robert Greene. And in it, you know, he talks about, like, in the modern era, people are just trying to get to that mastery level far too quick, not realizing that the process that you need to get there is long and drawn out and you ha- need that process to get to mastery you just can't skip over it. and it's like dan john when he talks about systematic education you know he, he gives that example in, in seminars where he's like if you brought a kid into school on the first day you'd be like okay right let's do quantum physics uh right. <laughs> you know you'd be like there's a systematic education to to our education he's like it's no different to lifting like we, you need to go through that process yeah well and we have a a guy who trains with us who is now in his 40s, but as a kid, he lived in East Germany, the former East Germany. And, uh, that's the hard-ass Germany years ago. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> the GDR. So this is, uh, he went through the, the East German sports school system as a weightlifter. And so, you know, they started him at, you know, 10, 11, 12 years old, and they basically train two or three times a day and then go to school for a little bit in the afternoon. But he said that essentially for the first two years, they don't do any weightlifting. Mm. It's all kind of GPP. It's it's more gymnastics, kind of body weight sort of uh, base building and, and play activities. And then it's snatching and clean and jerking a, a wooden stick just thousands and thousands and thousands of times. And, uh, you know, people, people forget that because so many of the people who are trying to learn this stuff now are doing so as adults and so as an adult you you have this impatience and you don't have a uh, you tend to not have such a long-term view you say you know i want to do i want to snatch and clean and jerk right now as heavy as possible as soon as possible hmm. whereas you know as a 12 13 year old kid um if you have good guidance good coaching that's telling you okay well we're going to start off this way but in 10 years you're going to be a world-class athlete hmm. that, i think that's much easier to accept yeah, yeah, like uh, I think what clock off was thirteen when he started. He said yeah, thirteen on, on a podcast. So, but yeah, like I mean, I've I've met coaches from Germany and they're just like they get all the kids together, which just and it's just dowels and it's thousands and thousands of repetitions just with these wooden dowels. And as you said, like if you're an adult, you're like, well, I'm not using a dowel. Give me a pair, you know. Yeah, so. actually, you know what? The Frank Mantek, the German coach, came to the Olympic Training Center here in Colorado Springs a couple of years ago to do a seminar. And someone asked him uh, something like, you know, okay, well, how would you train someone who came to you at age 25 who wanted to start weightlifting? And he just got a blank look on his face and said, what do you mean? Mm-hmm. Like the, the concept to him of an athlete starting in the sport at the age of 25 was so foreign that he, it's like he didn't even know how to respond yeah, yeah. because it's just unheard of. What, you know, why would you start at age 25? It's too late. Uh, no, yeah, that, of course. Like, well, like it's it's never too late to anything, but it, I get what he means. It's it's too late to optimize, obviously, the person because obviously when you're younger, everything's so much more plastic in terms of your nervous system. Um, it, Greg, in terms of uh, now, like again, people who who know me and listen to this, I'm definitely more 
my background's more sort of in strength and conditioning or physical preparation for sport, uh, sport athletes. I'm definitely not as well versed in Olympic weightlifting. It's, it's only in the last year I've really delved into it and, you know, getting into the encyclopedia of, of Olympic weightlifting and learning about, you know, kind of, again, the different systems and all that. One thing that I've never, like, really feel that I, I've formulated yet is understanding, like, the program design and the periodization of an Olympic lifting program, maybe because I'm just kind of regimented in how I see it from a strength and conditioning point of view with a team, team, um, team in team sports. Like, so with the program design, like, you know, you often see the squat before a clean and jerk or the clean and jerk before the squat. In my mind, it makes more sense to do the classic lifts and then go into your squatting in, in your squats. But I've seen it done both ways. Like, so what way do you do it and why do you do it? And, and can maybe explain why there is different ways of doing it? Or is it just, is there any way of explaining that? Uh, yeah, it's, I mean, it's the, the problem with programming is that there, there's so much information and there are so many ways to do it, uh, and there are, are so many ways that are effective. Mm. You know, it's not really a right and a wrong way. There's kind of multiple approaches, and they, they all work as well in some cases, depending on the athlete and the circumstances. So um, I, I would say specifically in regard to your question about uh, the order of exercises, I would say that it, it is most common that you would have the classic lifts or the competition lifts uh, first, yeah. you know, and, and, and you would have that logical progression of starting with more speed and, and technique-oriented exercises and working more towards uh, more basic strength, yeah. you know, lower technical exercises. But... Um, there are some coaches, and I'm one of them, who a lot of times, uh, in a in a early on in kind of a preparation phase, so when we're far out from a competition, um, I will do squats in particular first sometimes, and that's in the case that that we really really have to emphasize and push that leg strength or that basic strength level. Okay. Uh, and so this is for someone who, uh, you, you said, let's say you take a guy like Klokov who's you know, been training since the age of 13. He's already at the world-class level. Uh, you know, he's an Olympic medalist, a world champion. He already has such a huge strength base. That's not really that much of an issue anymore. Yeah. Versus someone who is more beginning intermediate or even, you know, advanced on the uh, American level, which, you know, a, a, a national level lifter in the U.S., uh, most of the time couldn't even qualify for like the Russian national championships because the the difference of, of competitiveness. But in any case, you know, these guys uh, still need uh, more strength, more and more strength, which I, I, I hope Louis Simmons is listening because, yes, I'm agreeing with you. Everyone needs to get stronger. I get it. Um, <laughs> and so in that case, we might put those things first because that means that the athlete is coming into that exercise with more energy and more focus and they can push harder. Um, but then you also have the, the added benefit that let's say we do a bunch of squats first and then we go snatch. It's um, you're training yourself mentally to be a little tougher because you're going to these snatches knowing that you're tired, feeling kind of tired and you have to learn to fight that and continue to be extremely aggressive. But also um, physically your body is learning how to kind of tap into, you know, higher threshold motor units and all that fancy scientific stuff where you're, you're basically training yourself to be able to access more of your physical ability to produce these movements. Yeah, yeah. Like, um, my question to that, well, obviously, listen, it depends on, on the individual, but would, 
if it was a beginner, would they be better off because obviously just being fresher and a very complex lift going with the lifts first and then into their strength work? Or yeah, absolutely. Yeah, with a, with a very beginner, when they're still really learning technique, the technique stuff should always come first. Always come first, okay. Yeah. Because it, you, know, you think about an early beginner, and it's, it's like this with any skill, whether it's you know athletics or music or you know language or anything. Yeah, and, yeah. It's, very, it's very mentally taxing to yeah. learn these things. Yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, you really need to have them fresh and, and still enthusiastic and eager, whereas if you, you beat the crap out of them with an hour of squatting and then say, okay, hey, we're going to... You know, practice this, and I'm going to give you a million corrections, and you're going to get really frustrated. Then it's you know, it's not going to work very well. Sorry, and just to yourself and listeners, I know that that question might sound redundant, but in my head, I'm just thinking that if someone is weak, you kind of have them still in the beginner category. So if they're weak, you're kind of like saying we needed them to squat to start to get them stronger. So I'm kind of just, I, I suppose it's kind of when they're transition from intermediate, but they still need to get stronger. Is it like their technique is good, but they're still not quite strong enough that you may start squatting them first? Where if they're a pure raw beginner, it's more like. No, we'll do the, the technical this first because it's so mentally taxing and they need to be fresh. So the, the, yeah, it, I, you kind of have to stratify that beginner yeah, phase a little bit yeah, because exactly. if if someone if you if someone is still learning the competition lifts, like they they're not proficient enough to train them in the sense that okay, I'm coming in and having a snatch session where I'm going to do you know six triples in the snatch and then do my snatch pull yeah. whatever that, 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 would be, still... that would be me now I, i'm a beginner like i because i go in and like some days i can snatch okay but other days i have brain farts and i'm just like oh this the bar is hitting in the wrong part of my thigh so i'd be purely beginner so i'd be going in probably just starting straight away with the, the classic learning competition yeah. yeah yeah absolutely yeah it's it, you know it comes back to kind of what what we were talking about earlier with training philosophy in general is that yeah. you have to you have to train your weaknesses yeah and so for you right now your your biggest weakness is that technical ability yeah yeah i mean well it's you know when you say it like that it makes it makes so much sense yeah, yeah. and again it's and it's going to depend of course on the individual and what you're seeing what your coaches are and like no you need to stick stick with doing the competition this first and yeah makes yeah. makes sense and uh just in terms then with the program design so you're, you're usually or what was I going to ask there with the strength oh yeah so with regards to the, you often hear like you know your, your clean should be this much towards your squat and snatch towards your clean I've seen some of your figures on the website I think you were saying that you like the the, the back squat to be about 125% now I, I know I know you're probably rolling your eyes going Jesus that article is so long ago they were, just, they were just general guidelines don't be holding the gun to my head but like you know I usually hear like you know the clean should be 80% of your back squat and then your snatch should be 80% of your clean or whatever do you use any of those guidelines yourself? Uh, I, I very rarely get out the calculator and, and get that precise with it yeah, um, yeah. because I, I feel that it's it's usually fairly obvious if someone is is well balanced or not well balanced in other words you know if, if you have a guy who comes in he's got a 200 kilo back squat and he's snatching 60 kilos you don't need a calculator to figure out that he's got to work on a snatch more than a squat right yeah yeah now if, if you get up with someone who is um, a little more advanced and it's it's getting uh, the numbers are getting a little more precise then you may end up doing that but I, I think the reality is that Athletes vary too much individually um, enough that it's going to throw off those figures to a point that that level of precision isn't really going to be helpful anyway. Yeah. For example, you have you have people who um, I, I'm an example of someone who can snatch and clean injure a very large percentage of my basic strength lifts. 
I'm not a very strong person, but I can use a, a huge amount of that strength for the snatch and clean and jerk. Yeah, yeah, I get what you're but saying. But there are, there are also people, though, who have these huge margins of strength where they can lift, they can snatch and clean and jerk more than me, but that snatch and clean and jerk is a considerably smaller percentage of, of say, their best front and back squat. Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, what do you do in that situation? Well, do you say, well, I, you know, those guys need to only snatch and clean and jerk until they can get up to a higher percentage of their squat? Or are they simply the kind of individual who's always not going to be able to use, you know, that that strength to the same degree? Yeah, and yeah. so we have to keep pushing their strength as well to maintain that same margin. And so in that sense, I think you really have to evaluate people more individually and not rely too much on the formulas. That's that's a very interesting uh, observation yeah, of like, do you close that gap or do they need to actually raise the strength more to raise up the, the list more? It's very interesting there. Yeah. Of looking at it that way and in one of your articles too you kind of you, you, you said that you know there's those kind of t- those two different types of lifters where you have someone who's very very strong but mightn't be might be able to display that strength with the lifts and then someone who actually is very technically good and explosive with their lifts but might be very strong so that would kind of dictate their programs in that the very strong person might spend more time with the lifts whereas the very explosive person might spend more time getting their strength up so I thought that was, you know, that was a good way of looking at it too. It's kind of like Kelly Baguette and the Vertical Jump Bible where he talks about, you know, you have those very elastic guys and if you, you know, who aren't strong and then you're very strong guys who aren't elastic and kind of, you know, feeding what each each one of those needs on either end of the continuum to help them with their vertical jump. So it kind of seems, yeah, to, be, absolutely. Yeah. So it seems to be a similar process with your Olympic lifting. Well, of. so the way, the way I look at it is you have to, you have to emphasize, uh, well, move, move back up here you, you you look at an athlete's strengths and weaknesses yeah. and you need to bring up those weaknesses to be more in balance with the strengths mm-hmm. but you also have to emphasize that athlete's strengths yeah. you know you, you take advantage of them you, yeah. why why hobble an athlete by limiting you know how much they can use what they're naturally good at yeah yeah no, you know I what i mean agree with that, yeah. in, in terms then of of just uh and then again like uh, as i said to you offline and, and during this like sorry some of these questions are done because it's just i really want to get a, a grasp for olympic lifting so i, I can just see right you know maybe it's <laughs> just like why did i agree to this interview just like rolling his eyes or um, no, not at all. um just in terms of like training blocks like uh, and again i know like i'm not saying listen every block is four weeks and deloading for four weeks but say like if you're going into a competition maybe you can use that as an example of general guideline do you do you would you go with a kind of accumulation first intensification and realization because it kind of what you were saying earlier on that you kind of nearly go more bulgarian t- towards the competition so that kind of in my mind would sound more like you're getting more specific going for more general maybe specific and that you're kind of zoning in on more specificity um, towards competitions and, and also would you go with more training volume say like maybe more days of lifting further out from competition as you get close to competition would you would you bring down the frequency of training is, is that, I hope those questions made sense <laughs> yeah no I, 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 all of that is is definitely true so um, let's just take an example of like a 12 week training cycle um, that would be kind of the, the ideal situation of whether or not you're actually going to get that is is questionable, um, but it's it's ideal. So let's say we had three four week meso cycles in there. Yeah. Those first two are going to be, uh, as you said, accumulation or uh, kind of volume phases, where we're going to be doing a lot more, you know, squatting, pulling, uh, pressing, strength work, kind of building that base, uh, 
accumulating the volume. We're going to be doing, um, you know, doubles and triples in the classic lifts or complexes of some type, you know, pull plus snatch or snatch plus overhead squat, that sort of thing. And then as we get closer to the competition, the volume will drop so that that second mesocycle uh, is, is going to be similar to the first, but overall kind of on average lower volume. And uh, we may say if we started with triples in the snatch and clean and jerk, maybe we're going to do doubles in that second one. But then that final one is really the competition preparation phase. And so we're going to be doing virtually uh, nothing but singles and very heavy in the snatch and clean and jerk. Sometimes we'll do a couple doubles here and there, maybe as back-offs. Um, squats also, singles and doubles for the most part. And uh, I, I typically keep pulls in the program, uh, but in that last four weeks they would be doubles uh, at the most. Yeah. And you know, I've been known sometimes to remove poles, so all we're doing is snatch, clean, and jerk, front squat, back squat, sometimes not even back squat. And it, again, depends on the athlete. But yeah, overall, what you're doing is you're, you're starting with a wider variety of exercises, more volume, um, would, would, more it be, would, it be more, would it be more frequency as well, or, or is the, the, the number of days? Sometimes. sometimes. It, it kind of depends. It, it depends on, on how much volume and frequency an athlete can handle. Um, like for myself personally, I'll train five days a week most of the time, and then that last four weeks into competition, I might drop to four. Okay. Um, now, if I weren't as old as I am, I would probably do six and five, uh, but it, it's kind of, uh, it just really depends on the athlete. But yeah, there, there would be typically a trend towards more volume, possibly more frequency to less volume and possibly less frequency. In terms of those days, is it is it heavy day alternated with light days? Is that how you like to do it? Essentially, yeah. There there has to be some kind of modulation of volume and intensity day to day, so you get some amount of you know partial recovery throughout the week. And so, for me, my my normal training schedule for my athletes is Monday through Thursday, Friday rest, and then Saturday. And so that Monday, Wednesday, Saturday will be. Uh, the heaviest, highest volume days, okay. um, and then Tuesday, Thursdays tend to be somewhat lower volume and lighter weight. And in terms of um, total like volume, like do, do you have like a monthly scheme where you're like, I want a thousand months or thousand reps for this month, or I want two hundred fifty total working reps for this? And um, and if if you do with regards to working reps, I saw one of your articles too. You you would say you don't re, like when do you start counting what is a working rep essentially? Is it seventy percent, eighty percent? I think you said seventy percent when you're. I usually start at seventy percent. Yeah, seventy percent. But but again, that depends on the exercise yeah. too. And on the individual, uh, on the individual, individual, I suppose as well. Yeah, but typically seventy percent is where I would start uh, considering that as contributing to the volume. And so I do track uh, the the daily volume and the weekly volume in uh, in my Excel spreadsheets that I use to write these guys' programs. And so basically what I, what I do is I have an idea from the, the athlete's history on you know, what amount of volume they can handle, what works best for them. Mm. And so I can kind of stay within that range. So I, don't, I typically don't look at a month's worth of volume. I look at it week to week because okay. that just kind of makes more sense to me. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, in terms of percentages, do, do you, you do, I know in your book you have Perlipin's chart. Do you utilize that with regards to like, you know, 70 to 80, 80 to 90, 90 to 100 plus in terms of the amount of rep volume you're going at certain percentages? No, I, I, I still have yet to meet anyone who uses that uses chart that. to actually write programs. Okay. 
Um, it, and I, I don't think it's completely useless, but you have to remember, you know, the the origin of that was it's descriptive, not prescriptive. Yeah, yeah. You know, it, it was basically looking at a bunch of weightlifters training and then saying, okay, well, here's where their their uh, lifts fell into these, you know, these classifications. So, you know, if if you look at those ranges, they're they're pretty broad and vague, and so you could have two workouts that meet those criteria that are completely different yeah true. Uh, and so a, as a tool to actually write a workout i don't find it that useful um i mean it, i've said before you could you could use it as kind of a way to verify that your the workout you've written is kind of that it, it makes sense and that it's a viable workout but i don't rely on that i, I rely more on the my previous experience with an athlete um, and given exercises and, and volume, I, I have a sense of what's possible, what's not possible, what's effective. And uh, most of the time what I do with my own athletes is that I just monitor them day to day and I have my clipboard out with their programs and I'm making my notes. And so I, I work their progressions week to week and day to day based on what I see and how they feel rather than saying okay well this day should be 85 percent yeah you know yeah, who knows maybe it's going to be 83 percent or maybe it's it's going to be you know 78 percent. It, it really just depends and so I, I try to look at it um very individually and and based on actually what's occurring greg with that um you were just saying but for lifting there that you, you're so that it's again and listen with everything on this like guidelines and no, I'm, I know and you know and a lot of listeners know nothing is black and white but in your own do you have any sort of formula in your own head that you use regards to percentages or is it just purely um, is it just purely again what the athlete's presenting to you on that day yeah it's it's just been what I've found through experimentation and, and trying it so I, I may have a sense like okay if I'm going to start this, this lifter off with uh, sets of six in the back squat I'm, I'm probably going to be shooting for about, say, 70%. Uh, yeah, so if um, I, I do sometimes prescribe percentages to my own lifters, although the percentages I'm using, I'm, I'm basing off of my previous experience with that lifter and with other lifters, and it's, it's more of a starting point or a guideline rather than, uh, you know, a, a etched-in-stone prescription. And so usually what I'll do is I'll have in mind already an approximate percentage uh, that's appropriate. So, for example, with that, you know, sets of six in the back squat, I might start around 70, 73%, somewhere in there. But what I'm going to do also is I'm going to go back to that individual lifter's prior training cycles, um, the most recent one, which we've done that same uh, set and rep scheme, and I'm going to make sure that we're at least doing what we've done before, if not more. So I, I may look to try to do the same percentages as long as that max lift that we're basing the percentages off has gone up. Mm. Or if we haven't retested at a higher uh, max weight, I may uh, just actually try to bump the, the absolute weight up a little bit to make sure that we're always you know, progressing with that. Because I don't, what I don't want to do is repeat the exact same uh, thing cycle after cycle uh, because a lot of times what you'll do is you'll over a, the period of a cycle you'll get progress with the lifter's strength but you may not have a good opportunity to test a one rep max yeah. um, and I think this is really common in the back squat or the front squat with weightlifting is that 
we're, we're less concerned about testing those those one rep maxes and those lifts than we are with the snatch and clean and jerk. And so if we don't have constantly current one rep max back squats or front squats, uh, we can't really rely necessarily on precise percentages either because it, it's not going to adequately reflect what that lifter's ability is. Definitely, yeah. Going back to just the program again where you're saying a bit more accumulation the first few weeks and kind of more, you know, uh, intensification towards sort of the competition in 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 every weekly uh microcycle are your lifters going to to a max all the time or are they in those accumulation blocks is it more they're going to spend more time around like 80 to 90 percent or are they always going a 90 above each and every week in their list no in, in the accumulation phase or that that preparation phase they're not very often going to max um Typically what I'll do is within each mesocycle, we'll build up to rep maxes. Uh, so for example, we may take that first three weeks, you, going back to that back squat, six rep example, we may do uh, you know multiple sets of six, and then on that third week, work up to a rep max, six rep max, yes. and then back off week four before going into the next mesocycle. Okay. Uh, um, so it, that, that's one way that I'll yeah. typically do it. And what about with the, just the actual competition list? Well, it's going to depend on what they're doing. So a lot of times, uh, uh, you know, let's say that they're doing a very simple program where that first mesocycle they're doing triples. We may work up to, um, you know, a max triple snatch, max triple clean plus jerk, whatever it is. Or if they're doing a, a complex, so say like snatch pull plus snatch plus overhead squat, we may work up to a max on that on the third week. Or sometimes we may build up on the strength work, like the squats and the pulls and, and the, the pressing stuff, up to a rep max on the, the end of the mesocycle, but we may try to work to a daily max in whatever related competition lift we're doing. So it really just kind of depends on uh, the overall training cycle, uh, you know, what's involved and, and uh, what that athlete needs at that time. Yeah, and that, that, the, they would obviously be on the heavier type days throughout the week, obviously. On the lighter days, are you just is, are you just more so focused on velocity in the bar? And... Well, it, it really depends. Sometimes those lighter days are really not very light. Uh, <laughs> it, it, yeah. it may just mean... You know, for example, let's say that Monday, Wednesday uh, is going to be a, a, a snatch and clean emphasis with some heavy squatting and stuff like that. That may mean that Tuesday and Thursday are like power snatch, power clean, or jerk, you know, or overhead movements. And so they may be just as heavy, but by the nature of the exercise, it's lighter in, a, in the sense that it's less taxing overall on the body. Yeah. So it's, it's a reduction in the intensity um, even though technically on paper, you know, mathematically, it might be actually the same intensity, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I so, for example, you know, like a, a max, a, a one rep max jerk is a lot less taxing on someone than a one rep max clean. And obviously, example. the power versions are less taxing than the full versions. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. I get, I get what you're saying. There. No, it's it that it's again just in my head, it's making sense, and I hope for people who are kind of like me, kind of you know even if they're strength coaches but don't have a great background in weightlifting, it's just making more clarity to them. In, right. in terms, let's get it maybe more into to technique. Um, so I suppose, you know, regards to the clean and the snatch, and again, it's going to depend obviously on body structure and body type. But like, I just have in my notes here, you know, starting position, first pull, second pull, and 
you know, you actually were the first person I ever heard use the term third pole. I never really heard it before, but I, you know, it's getting under the bar as, as a third pole. I, I think, is that correct? Is it? Am I saying that? Yes. Yeah. It's that movement under the bar. So uh, could you maybe just bring us through some of the most common sort of flaws you see in regards to the snatch and the clean? You can, uh, you can start whichever one you want. Usually most people start with snatch and the clean. But in terms of maybe the start and the first, second pole and, you know, what you think is um, most common error and then what you'd usually do to correct it, if you can. And again, I know this is general through this medium. Uh, I, I would say that, well, I think universally for snatch and clean, one of the biggest problems is uh, trying to initiate that final explosion too early. Yeah. Uh, in other words, people... That's me. <laughs> yeah, well, it, it's, it's almost everybody when they're first learning. But people will try to, to rip the bar off the floor and get it accelerating as fast as possible as soon as possible um, and what you learn over time is that it's much more effective to not initiate that that final upward explosion until that bar is at kind of mid to upper thigh which is especially for a brand new lifter seems way too late uh, you know it, it uh, in your head you're thinking you know there's no possible way that I'm gonna be able to get under the bar if I wait this long and uh, the reality is that you will actually be much better if you're able to be patient and so that's where a really common cue you'll hear from coaches is stay over the bar, wait, or patience, things like that. And that's what we're referring to is that you're, um, you're essentially trying to maintain a similar back angle from the floor until you initiate that final explosion and, and keep those shoulders over the bar until that bar is high on the thigh. And that's going to put you in a, a really advantageous position mechanically to explode and get the height and the, ele- or the uh, acceleration on the bar that you need to then have time to get under it. Um, another one is just simply that the posture and the balance pulling off the floor. So naturally, people want to tip over the bar and shoot their hips up way before their shoulders. And so they're too far forward over the bar. Their weight moves onto their toes. The bar pulls them forward. You know they have to basically jump forward into the bar to get under it. Um, but then one that's becoming more common now is people really overemphasizing how much weight they put on the heels instead. So it's it's this this huge overcompensation where people are trying to get all their weight back on their heels to the point where their toes are lifting up off the ground. And while I would argue that's probably better than being too far forward. Uh, you run into a lot of problems there as well, and, and one of them tends to be that you then end up rocking forward uh, because you, you really can't lift and, and maintain balance as you transition under the bar if your weight is that far back on the heel. Yeah, yeah. yeah I've definitely, in terms of the, the kind of early extension, what, what are the kind of, or, like, or, or trying to get into, you know, that triple extension too soon or just uh, you know initiating that second pull too quickly what are some of the things that you go to to kind of stop that would you, would you do you get people kind of pulling from that power position or do you kind of work on pause in the bar in those kind of positions or what ways do you go about that uh it will depend somewhat on what i determine the source of the problem is mm-hmm. um and, and what i mean is there can be multiple sources yeah. uh yeah it, it can be a, a technical issue where they they just conceptually don't understand that they have to wait, or it can be um, a physical issue where it's it's actually uh, a lack of strength. So they're they're physically unable to keep their shoulders over the bar up to that high point. You know, their their body will naturally unload 
and bring uh, you know bring the hips in under the shoulders and, and transfer more of that that load to the the knees rather than the back or the hips and so in that the latter case you'd be looking at things like uh, segment deadlifts or segment pulls, halting uh, pulls or deadlifts, where they're having to actually pause in those positions to, to really build that postural strength. Yeah. But then also the, the kinesthetic awareness and that awareness of, of where the body and the bar are relative to each other to maintain those positions. If it's more of a, a technique issue, then you can do um, snatches with, say, a pause at mid-thigh on the way up. Um, or you can do like a slow pull snatch or a clean where you're forcing them to take three or four seconds from the floor up to that point where they explode. Um, so there's no pause, but it's a very slow movement to that point. Mm. Um, doing uh, high hang lifts or, or lifts from the high blocks, things like that where it, it really just depends. How you address it depends on what exactly the source well, of the problem what is. What I've been doing, uh, sometimes when I feel like I just need like a kind of like a practice run. What I kind of do is nearly a, it's not a complex really, but like, cause it's only two exercises, but let's say if I'm doing my snatch, I don't really find it as much in my clean, maybe because I've done so many more cleans throughout my life. I'm just not as good at, at snatching. I, I find my clean, I hit the bar or the bar makes contact with my tie in the same position every time. Like it feels pretty consistent, but my snatch not so much. So what, what I've been doing is bringing the bar up to like, so I'll do one rep where I bring it right to where I, I feel that I should start that second pull. And then I'll go. I'll bring the bar back down slowly, back down to the start position, and then boom, go into my full snatch. Yeah, absolutely. And so that's a common exercise, and I actually use that um, as part of my teaching progression. Um, you know, when you're initially teaching someone, I'll, I'll teach them the snatch or the clean from the hang, and then we work down to down, the floor. Yeah, yeah. And that's one of those transition complexes that I use commonly. And with your teaching progression, would you be? your top down is it similar to, to Glenn Penley's type way I'm not saying that Glenn invented that way but like you know just that's just a coach I'm thinking of do you teach uh, I'm only vaguely familiar with his and uh, it's it's much more uh, it's more thorough and involved than his so his is okay. kind of like well you just snatch from you know the hip yeah and then you snatch from the knee, and then you snatch from the floor. Pretty much, well, yeah, that's his one. To, I mean, to me, that's not really a snatch progression, because how do I snatch from the hip? I don't know how to snatch yet. Yeah. Uh, and so I, I go through a lot more um, steps where you're actually teaching, you know, the upper body mechanics of that pole under, or the third pole, yeah, and things yeah. like that. So it's, I mean, it, 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 in principle, it, it, it's all pretty much, it's, it's all pretty similar. Yeah, I know. You know? Well, uh, just different approaches on, and what we emphasize more yeah a question I, I really wanted to get your thought on because this is one again from someone who's more of an outsider to the lifting that it seems confusing because it's kind of you hear different things different people and that's like how much contact should your body have with the bar so like particularly in terms of when you're just about to initiate a second pull you hear some people say oh it, it should barely skim your thigh other people say no you should bang it off your thigh it, it, like it should stay close to your body other people like I and I, I don't mean to put someone under the bus because they're not here to defend themselves but I get conf <laughs> I get confused watching John North because John North has this drill where he like he bounces the bar and like it loops and makes like a U like for the snatch and I'm kind of like every Olympic coach told me like that that's wrong like, you need to keep the bar close and then John North who seems to be a pretty decent Olympic lifter saying no you want to bang it and like it should make this beautiful C like so to me now maybe that's just a drill I don't know maybe it's, it's not how he's actually saying it to do a snatch but like how much contact should your hips make with the bar should it be so much that 
it goes away a little bit like every everything i read says it should stay close to your body so like what's your opinion on that yeah the, the bar has to stay as close to the body as possible the, yeah. the closer it is the the more mechanically sound it is the easier um if uh regarding the actual contact between the hip and the bar the key is how far forward the hips move through the bar and what the proximity of the bar and the body was prior to that contact and what i mean by that is if you if you picture a lifter standing straight up and down just standing vertically you can and you look at him from the side you can imagine a vertical line that goes through their ankle the their hip joint and their shoulder now, when they're snatching or cleaning, what ideally what you want to see is that the hip, uh, you know, as they're coming up from the bottom, the hip will be behind that line, and as they extend, the hip will move into that line and then up through the line. It never really crosses forward through the line. Yeah. And when it crosses forward through that line, that's when you get that bar being kicked out and swung, and the lifter jumping forward to to recover and, and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, the second part of that is, well, let me back up one of the ways that you make sure that happens is that you you make sure that uh, along with that explosive hip extension there is active and concurrent uh, leg extension or, or drive against the ground yes, yes so as long as the hips are opening the legs need to be pushing against the floor and that will help guide the hips properly so the way i think about it and this is obviously not 100 percent accurate but it's a way to conceptualize it that i think makes sense and helps people yeah. and that is that the, the hips kind of produce the speed and the legs produce the elevation okay yeah no yeah that, uh, that makes sense but so the, the other component of this is that the bar needs to be very very close to the legs all the way up until the point where it actually contacts the hips and so i uh the bar and the hips do need to come in full contact it doesn't mean that they're you're trying to chop yourself in half with the bar yes yeah. um but it the the way the analogy i like to use um just because it's simple and i like simple things is that if we took two cars and we, we faced them off and we t- had the two bumpers touching face to face and each driver floored the gas as hard as they could, you know, what's going to happen? Not a lot, right? You're going to get some burning tires and smoke, but there won't really be any collision. There won't be any damage because they were, they were already in immediate proximity to each other. Yeah. Now, if you take those cars and you back them up, uh, you know, 10 meters and you floor it, now all of a sudden you're going to have a huge collision and a lot of damage and each car is going to want to bounce off the other and so that's it's the exact same concept if you if you maintain immediate proximity of the bar to the body on the way up even if you are very very explosive and you hit your hips into the bar as hard as you possibly can you're still not going to create that much forward force on the bar yeah, yeah. Now if you let that bar move out because you think i have to hit my the bar with my hips as hard as possible, I need to make this sound and it has to hurt really badly, then you're going to have a huge collision and the result is that the bar is going to bounce forward. Yeah, yeah. It's in, in terms then of like the actual contact, is it is it more, again, this is such a novice question, but I'm novice in the middle of them, is it more in terms of like, should it be that sort of direct contact, obviously with the bar staying close so it stays close, or is it more of a graze or is it just dependent on how the, the, the lifter themselves like, it, it depends a little bit on the lifter. Um, I, I do think that in a snatch in particular, it should be a more of a bump, I guess is kind of the term that I use. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. But again, it has to be directed upward and not outward. Yeah, okay. um, 
Now, I, I would rather see a brush than a bang to the extent that the bar gets kicked forward. Yeah, definitely. You know, if I had to choose between those two, I would go with the brush. Oh, but you, you cannot achieve a, a fully extended finished position without the bar being in contact with the body. It's not possible because the shoulders are behind the bar, yeah, yeah. you know, in that position. So if, if you're in a properly extended position, you know, the bar has to be in full contact with the body. I think what, what I've kind of been thinking lately with my limp and the reason I'm saying this is because I'm reading an old school book by Dr. Pat O'Shea, Quantum Fitness, and he was big into the Olympic lifts for athletic development. And he has That is, you know, I have that book, and that's, I know very few people who've ever heard of that book. I, I see, I'm a nerd. I'm a nerd. That's a great we're, book. We're kindred spirits. <laughs> <laughs> but in, in that book, he has this brilliant picture of... Uh, of of the of the um, of triple extension essentially in it and he has one that's correct and incorrect and I swear to God when I saw the incorrect one I first went that's incorrect I was like <laughs> and, and then I immediately said that's what I look like when I Olympic live because I look at myself when in in videos and it's it essentially from people like it's very hard again to, to explain through a podcast but it's essentially a guy who's he is actually pretty dead straight. But the, but the correct picture has a guy where his hips are like in almost hyper extension where he committed to the bar. And like, when I'm Olympic lifting now, I'm like, geez, I just, how do you, it's like almost like a fear thing that I know something in the back of my head's going, one day, I, I, I still feel like I'm pulling with my arms too much. Like, you know, if, 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 if someone who didn't know Olympic lifting came in and saw me, they'd be like, oh, you look pretty good, you know what I mean? But I know if a coach saw me, they'd still say you're not committing the hip to the bar. And I know right. that I know that when the day comes, the bar will feel more weightless. But like, how do you? It's like almost a fear thing that you just don't get that full commitment at the very, very end. It's like, uh, I, I guess it's just practice. You know, it just it'll come. Like, well, w one drill that you might find helpful, and this is something that I, I tend to try with people who do have that problem of getting the hips through, is you you I basically have them simulate the finished position that I want them to achieve. Yes. And so I'll have them just stand tall with the bar at arm's length, snatch grip, um, so the bar is in contact with the hip, and keeping their legs vertical, I'll get them to hyperextend the hips very slightly. So in other words, the legs will remain vertical when you're viewing them from the side, but then the shoulders will move back behind the hips and behind the bar. And what I want them, I want them to achieve that by keeping the abs tight, but then activating the glutes primarily because that'll ensure that uh, it's the actual hip that's hyperextending not and not the lower back. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And then they can kind of move that bar down the thigh and then slowly move back up to that finished position and repeat that a few times and then move down to the thigh and do, say, like a hang power snatch or a hang snatch. Oh, and right. so you're, you're, you're basically teaching the body to feel that position. position yeah. um, and then it's, it's much easier for them to get to that position when they actually try to lift yeah because i've been kind of doing similar not similar kind of like that just i bring it up to a slow position and i'm kind of pushing my hips through and kind of shrugging but i wasn't emphasizing as much getting the shoulders behind so i'm definitely going to try that out and see if that it seems to be more so in the snatch rather than the clean maybe because like the snatch gets a little bit closer to the family jewels yeah so uh, i won't keep you too much longer uh greg just if, if you still have time i just have one or two other little questions sure um in terms of maybe we kind of touched on this in terms of assistance exercises you, you seem to be a pretty basic guy from what I've read so you know just your front and back squat and, and, and pulls and um, the power variations is that pretty much it with regards to you or again is it going to depend sometimes you might throw something else in depending on the lifter oh I, 
I yeah, it depends. I I get pretty far down the rabbit hole sometimes with assistance exercises. Okay. Um, and it it will again, it really depends on the need. So I I'm very I try to be very conscious of not using novel exercises just for novelty's sake. Yeah. You know, you know, some people will get very into this, like, oh, we got to, we have to do something different. We have to get this variety in it. It's like, no, you have to use things that are effective. Yeah. Uh, and sometimes that's the same old stuff over and over and over again. Weightlifting can be very monotonous, uh, yeah, yeah. and that's just the reality of it. You do the same few things over and over and over every day for years at a time. Yeah. Um, but it, it, primarily, yes, it's going to be um, the full competition lifts. Uh, the hang competition lifts, power, uh, and from blocks. Those will be like the, the big varieties that I'll use most often. Yeah, and like say, would, do you kind of have like in, in your mind? I don't I don't want you, you don't have to get into it because it would probably take you some time. But like, do you kind of have these little buckets where you go right? If uh, uh, I have like these correctors for starting issues, for first pull, for second pull, like your kind of go tos that you, like you might look lifter and go. You know, extending too early, second pull. This is usually what I use with a lot of people with success. I'll try this with this guy. Do you kind of like have those little categories, kind of just generally in your mind? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, and uh, you know, there there's been times when I've tried to organize those and present them in some kind of logical fashion. Like in uh, a couple of my seminars, I've done a, a lecture on that and tried to organize them, but. Uh, and in my original book, there's an error correction section that has a lot of that stuff. Yeah. Um, but yeah, th- th- there's always those same few fallback exercises that you, I think, every coach goes to because you've seen how successful they are. Yeah, yeah. And you, and, uh, you know, a lot of times a single exercise will address multiple issues. Yes. Uh, and so those are the ones, obviously, that you see over and over and over again. Yeah, yeah. it's kind of like there's only like a hierarchy to it. Like I think I might be reading you, you again, and I, I think I've heard this from multiple coaches that like it's like you know you might see someone and their whole technique is awful, but the the, the reason why the whole thing's off is because their starting position is so bad. And maybe if you correct that, everything after that kind of self-corrected because the starting position was better or the first pull was better. Right, exactly. Yeah, it, you know, or errors early on are almost always going to cause errors later. You know, yeah. errors later on because they, they're in response to those earlier things. That's that's the quote of the show. Errors early on will cause errors later on. Well, now people always wonder, like, where do I start? You know, if I have a lifter who's making six mistakes in a lift, which where do I start? You always start with the most global or the most general, and the ones that occur first because those will affect everything else. My last two questions. What what have been the the biggest mistake or mistakes you've made and the biggest lessons you've learned so far in your career? Oh man, um, I I think probably the biggest mistakes I've made are, are not uh, not kind of trusting my intuition enough yeah. when it comes to program design in particular and uh, second guessing myself and I, and I think that's. I think that's probably something that every coach goes through at least periodically. Absolutely. Yeah. Where you, you really start to wonder, like, do I actually know what the fuck I'm doing right now? <laughs> uh, and, and, and the reality is that when you you look back at, at the history you have with the athletes, you see the progress. So you, you know objectively that you're doing something right. Yeah. Uh, but I think I go through those periods of, of a, a real, like, a lot of self-doubt, and I, and I kind of start to wonder... Like oh my god, do, you know, do I need to start doing things completely differently, or 
or whatever the case is. And I think what it's come down to is that sometimes I even fall victim to that that uh, problem of, of overanalyzing and it's like, oh God, I, you know, I have to find something new or different or whatever. Yeah. And really, the stuff that I've been doing is working just fine. It's sorry, and the reason why I laughed is 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 not 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 because of uh, because that's your answer it's because it's so true as in like because I've felt the same way so many times there's days where you just you look around and you're like I fucking know nothing <laughs> like I am shit and you're yeah. just and you're Which, so, you know it's it's I think it's good to, to have that sometimes where you, you have to know like you don't know everything yeah and there's always someone else out there you can learn from yeah, yeah. Uh, but you also have to have enough confidence to to stay on track and commit to what you're doing. Yeah, but it, it's so amazing that someone in your position who's so well known, so well respected, you know, has books out, multiple resources, and yet like that still. And and that's not you. Like I, I'm very good friends with like you know a, a lot of top coaches, and they they would still come back and be like, you know, and I think that's a good thing. It's 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 good to be able to have that humility and ego to say, listen, I don't know everything, and all all the great people I know always say, listen, I know enough to know that I don't know everything. Yeah, absolutely. So, and uh, I, I would say that's that's probably that biggest lesson too is that there there's always someone out there who knows more than you. And I think the biggest mistake you can make is is uh, not considering you know new information. It doesn't mean you have to accept all of it, but you got to at least consider it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, it kind of goes back to earlier on. We, you know, when we were you said it earlier on where you were like, you know. And I meant to say this to you, Brian Walsh, Dr. Brian Walsh, he's a naturopathy, and we were at a seminar one day, and you know he was talking about closed-mindedness, and I was thinking that he's going to talk about being open-minded. And the next thing he said is, but I don't want you to be open-minded either. And then I was like, oh, this is interesting. He says, I want you to be critically-minded. He's like, because open-minded yeah. like, open people are just like, oh, I love everything, everything, give me everything. And he's like, but they don't actually go, no, this is bullshit. I actually did think about this. I was open-minded enough to think about it. But then I was critical enough to be like, no, that's crap. <laughs> so he's right. like, you need yeah, to be exactly. crit critically minded. So, um, in terms of, I always ask people this resources, what would be your top resources for anything? Now, this doesn't have to be just Olympic weightlifting or training. It could be, you know, uh, regards to life, self development, health, wellness. And, and the resource could be anything a book, DVD, a course, an individual. So, what would be your top resources? Well, CatalystAthletics.com, of course. Well, yeah, but, and, uh, and, and in, that is a brilliant website. I can't believe the amount of free information you have on that. It's just ridiculous. It, it is. It's. You know what's funny is actually I did a, a seminar in uh, in Manchester, England, last year, and the, during the the program lecture, someone, this girl, raised her hand and she, and she said, "I have a question that's not really related to programming, but." Why do you give away so much for free? And it, it stumped me. I was like, I, I don't really know. Um, so if people tell me I'm stupid for doing it, but I, I kind of feel like that's what I should be doing. So I, I think there's enough people who appreciate what we do that they go out of their way to try to support us and buy the products that we do sell. Uh, and so, so far, I'm not homeless, so it's working as much as it needs to. But yeah, I, this is another one of those questions I'm not good at because I, I'm, I've been, the last few years, I've been so swamped and busy and trying to catch up with my own stuff that I, I don't get out there and do enough. But uh, I would say, just off the top of my head, uh, opexfit.com, which is formerly OPT. This is a friend of mine, James Fitzgerald. I'm, I'm interviewing James tomorrow. Oh, no way. Yeah. Yeah, so he's a great guy and he is uh, he's really on top of um, kind of the fitness aspect of things, and but also um, a lot of 
the kind of mental and lifestyle elements that go into that. And so he, he's a really good resource. And then um, Rob Wolf, who's another really good friend of mine, um, as, as far as nutrition and lifestyle goes, and even uh, you know general kind of fitness and strength and conditioning to some extent. I think Holy cats, really that's good Rob's stuff. thing. Yeah. Holy cats. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and so he and I used to own a gym together, and so we've been friends for a long time. And yeah, yeah. Th- those, those are probably the two that come to, to mind um, straight off the bat. Yeah, they're great and tough resources. And then uh, finally, any advice to any coaches listening? Um, listen more than you talk and uh, do more than you think. That's pretty good. That's what you, as I say, you have two ears and, and one mouth. Yeah. So, uh, oh, oh, you 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 would you would uh, hard be hard pressed to believe that with some folks, but yeah, uh, yeah that is true. <laughs> um, Greg, listen, thanks so much for coming on. Uh, just again, finally, can you just tell the people where they can find you? Obviously, you know you've named your website, but maybe just talk about your website, your your books, DVDs, uh, Facebook, all that type of stuff, and also just talk about the documentary website one more time. Yeah, so CatalystAthletics.com is our, our primary website, and you can pretty much find all the peripheral stuff from there. Um, but the other one is PerformanceMenu.com. That's our monthly journal. We actually just uh, hit 10 years of publishing on that thing. So uh, that's been going on forever. I actually started that with Rob Wolf uh, 10 years ago. Um, AmericanWeightliftingFilm.com is the documentary website. And then uh, uh, Facebook, I, I think it's, what are we? I think we're just facebook.com slash Catalyst Athletics. And then uh, I have my own Facebook page, which is Greg Everett CA. Uh, and then, of course, we're on Twitter, which is just C Athletics. Instagram is Catalyst Athletics. We're, we got stuff everywhere. So yeah, yeah. pretty it's much, a- I mean, if, if you type in Catalyst Athletics or Greg Everett into Google, you'll, you'll find all our stuff pretty quick. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's, I was about to say, like, today now I wanted to research your articles, and I literally, you were already actually in my search, but I literally just typed in G-R-E, and then when I get to E-V-E, it just goes, Greg Everett, I'm just like, oh, <laughs> so it was pretty good. Uh, Greg, just stay online for 30 seconds while when I just hit stop here and say goodbye to all the listeners. I sure. so, so appreciate you making time today, and just for the listeners, the great thing about technology is you don't realize that this feckin' call dropped five billion times <laughs> and Greg just stick, st- stuck around for me so like I'm, I'm so appreciative god damn you Skype I'll get you but anyway uh, hey not bad you know you're in freaking Ireland I'm in California like, yeah no I'm fair the fact yeah. that we can even have a conversation is pretty cool oh listen like, yeah, it's like the old like Louis CK joke you know like that you're like everything's amazing if you if you sent a text message and it took a week that's still amazing <laughs> so yeah I'm not complaining it's amazing that we could even do this like if, even if it dropped out 10 billion times I'm just I'm just having a having a joke here but listen guys thanks for mainly for listening to this podcast interview this is absolutely brilliant answered so many of my questions and I hope it did for some of your listeners uh, to keep supporting me and, and the podcast here, go to upmentorship.com um, and uh, keep going to iTunes, leaving reviews because that apparently bumps us up so more people can get this information for free. So, guys, take care, stay strong, and I will talk to you soon. <laughs>